and welcome back to Big Ideas, an exploration of the diverse perspectives, timely research, and lived experiences of Mount Royal alumni and the university community on issues both trending and emerging that impact us all. I'm Noel Armita, a third-year journalism student and the show producer for this podcast. the spirit of truth and reconciliation and to recognize Mount Royal's continued journey to indigenization and decolonization, we acknowledge and celebrate the traditional territories and oral histories of the Nitsitapi and the people of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Siksika, the Pikani, the Kainai, the Sutina, and the Yahe Nakoda. This land is also home to the Métis Nation. Mount Royal University is situated on land where the Bow River meets the Elbow River. The traditional Blackfoot name for this place is Mokinsis, which we now call the City of Calgary. This three-part podcast focuses on democracy and civic engagement in Alberta and topics including changing voter demographics, polarization, and ultimately how we move forward. In this episode, our panel discusses attitudes towards political conversations, the role of social media, and the volume it takes to listen. Our host is Lori Williams, Associate Professor in the Department of Economics, Justice, and Policy Studies at MRU. She is joined by our MRU alumni panelists, Tommy Jele, Diamond Reed, and Chris Turner. Welcome back. What I want to do uh, today is just begin with a bit of a discussion of what systemic factors are polarizing, dividing, pitting us against one another, and, and what possibilities exist for enriching connection and respect across those divisions. First of all, I just want to point out the ways in which our system tends not to reward collaboration, cooperation, compromise. Let's just talk about the structure of parliament. I mean, two sword lengths apart a mace between the government uh, and the opposition, the calling the opposition the official opposition, the language of war room, war chess, the money that gets collected by parties to fight elections, and and the reality that if parties work together in government, it tends not to be an advantage for anybody but the government. Institutionally, there's restrictions to that. doesn't mean that people sometimes don't, don't work together or don't, that they don't behave respectfully toward one another. But quite often, the sound bites that get into headlines and onto social media tend not to portray any kind of, of cooperation or collaboration. What, what I'd like to talk about today is, is what, if anything, you, you think counters these divisive institutions systemic factors. Yeah, one thing that kind of sparked a thought when you were introducing this topic, Lori, was how when you go to a party and or you go to a friend's house or maybe just an acquaintance and you might hear, oh, let's not talk about politics. And this idea of, oh, politics needs to stay in at it's your personal thing. You, you don't, don't talk about it. You don't, you don't want to get into an argument, right? And I think that's something that is instilled in us in, in a, at a very young age. But, you know, if we can change that and, you know, maybe have a really constructive conversation with someone that, you know, votes a different way than you, or maybe you don't even have to talk about a political party, but you can talk about what you think is really impacting you. Um, but just that idea that politics needs to stay in your own personal house, I think that needs to change. Maybe because we're not very practiced at, at the kind of disagreement that 
helps with understanding or constructive or promote respectful engagement. I also feel like it nods to some of the challenges in our democracy, which is the fact that, you know, politics is so ideological in so many ways, but we don't live in ideologies. We live in reality. The organization that I'm working with now does is like this thing called Table Topics, which is specifically focused on, they say don't talk about politics at the dinner table. So we buy dinner for a big group of people and we talk about politics. We just like invite young people and, and pick a topic and pick a theme and just talk about it. And it's so interesting hearing the kinds of ideas that will come up in those conversations where people will just talk really candidly about like, I wish our government worked like this, or like, why doesn't our democracy work like this? And like something that came out of a conversation that we had last November, it was so interesting. One of the people were like, I just, it makes no sense to me that I have to vote for a person when, you know, we're so multifaceted. We think so differently about so many different things. Like, Why can't we just vote on policies? Like, why do we vote? based on people. And while the idea and concept of representatives makes a lot of sense for so many reasons, it's so interesting to hear that perspective of somebody really just kind of asking for a reshaping of how we understand and how we relate and this idea of like, what would it look like for this to be more practical, more real and less ideological? And so I think like, for one, I think conversations is such a big part of how we kind of work against that. I just want to pick up on a couple of things you said there. First of all, Tommy, do you want to tell us about the organization you're a part of? Absolutely. So the organization is called Apathy is Boring, and it's a national nonprofit based out of Montreal. And essentially, the focus is getting youth engaged and excited about democracy. That does look like, you know, get out the vote campaigns whenever there's provincial and federal elections. But it's also programming and giving resources and giving funding for community projects and um, having just like random activations like this where we'll, you know, go into a city and buy a bunch of food and, yeah, just like have conversations about the state of our democracy democracy. That practice of respectful disagreement is something we don't have a lot of, but it takes practice to be able to continue that conversation. It can often feel uncomfortable or threatening. Yeah, it's just not not a lot of fun. I'm reminded of that video that went viral a few years ago of a couple of students in Mount Royal. One one was wearing a MAGA hat and the other one was trying to make him take it off and he was trying to make sure he didn't take it off. I just felt sorry for them because they didn't know how to disagree. They weren't even communicating with one another. There aren't enough opportunities to practice we live in a democracy and we aren't always going to agree and we've got to find some sort of middle ground, but we don't have the practice for doing that. So, Tommy, you're involved in an organization that's giving people practice. The best classrooms in a, in a school do that. The, the best groups of friends and, and acquaintances do that. So what can we share uh, with those who are listening about what they could do to try to, to get a bit of practice at this? I immediately thought of a couple examples, actually, when Tomi was mentioning having a group of people and just having that meal, having that discussion about politics. And it kind of reminded me of things like citizens' assemblies, where sometimes they will gather just random citizens together to discuss an issue, to really gain all of the different points of view and you know get a sense of like what is the population thinking about here on this particular topic. They're extremely valuable tools. I also thought of at Global Affairs Canada, I had the opportunity when I was interning there uh, to be part of a knowledge circle. Uh, And so they invited vast amounts of people, uh, particularly from the HR realm, because that's the uh, branch I'm working in and was working in then too, but invited them into a knowledge circle, which is basically considered a democratic and inclusive forum to gain insight and to also find solutions and to build some sort of trust and capacity with your community. And so we were trying to find ways within the department 
commitment to have more inclusive hiring practices for Indigenous people, for example? Like, what are some of the barriers that they face? But also, like, what are some of the ex expectations as public servants that also need to find the right balance in order to be able to fulfill your role? And that's what we're talking about here is the possibility of not just finding solutions, finding middle ground, but also pushing not only our governments, but just community leaders to try to find something that's more inclusive, more reflective of, of the diversity. You know, I feel like there's been a few comments about this idea of getting better and getting more practiced at hearing each other and listening to each other. And sometimes I wonder or worry if we're even there yet. I sometimes feel like, yeah, there's so much fragmentation, there's so much polarization, and maybe there's just a lot of pain. And I just think that a lot of people's goals in communicating is not dialogue. Like a lot of the time, the goal is a, a response or the goal is just to be heard or the goal is to fight. And I think that while ideally we would get to a place where we're here for dialogue and we could just talk and, and everything like that, I also do recognize the fact that, you know, some people feel like they haven't been heard for a really long time. Some people feel like they don't have options and based on that aren't even in the position to be able to start a conversation or to be able to start a dialogue. How do we communicate in those circumstances when it's clear that somebody just wants to be heard? They don't necessarily want to listen, but that's also a valid position to be in too if the frustration has built to that point. And so how do we even approach those situations when, you know, people do just kind of want to fight? And like, is that valid? <laughs> like, it's not helpful, but it's still an experience. Absolutely. I mean, there's barriers that need to be broken before you can even get to that constructive zone, break through those trauma, those lived experiences, like, like you say, of, of people that feel like, well, I've never had the chance to be listened to before. And I need to get this out mm -hmm. first. And where, what kind of forum is that appropriate in, mm -hmm. right? That's not going to be in your your classroom maybe, right? And and if it's just with your peers or people that have also lived that experience, that might not be the most productive. Maybe it's good practice, but I think finding opportunity to have no agenda, right? And so not one, no one thinks like, well, I'm a little afraid of like giving you my whole life story if it's just going to be pitched to something that I'm not in, in agreement with. So how do you find that neutral zone for communication where it, maybe it is just not a vent, but a, an a ability just to be heard? But then that can start the conversation, I think. But sometimes, sometimes you can't be neutral. And sometimes it gets to the point where you as a person, regardless of actually, no, because of your intersectionality, you are exhausted. And sometimes the only time you are heard is, you know, maybe it goes viral that someone in the House of Commons finally had an outburst about the reality of women, particularly Indigenous women are facing in Canada. It gets to the point where you hear all of these different ideas, but it's almost like yours that you've been hammering out for so long continues to just get swept under the rug. People sometimes get pushed past their breaking point, and that also leads to a lot of this polarization as well. I think there's a potential here for, as you were saying earlier, Diamond, this recognition of diversity or understanding um, different perspectives and demanding more attention, pushing for more, more attention, and that, that can sort of grow, be an outgrowth of understanding and of communication. One of the things I think about in this, this context is that having a conversation with somebody respectfully means that you have to be okay with not convincing them, just listening and, and communicating and leaving it to be thought about or better understood or processed. 
at some other point, and that's a hard thing to let go of. If you think that you're you have an important issue, you want it to be heard, you want it, you want somebody to understand, and you're engaging in a conversation where you just have to let go of whether or not it connects or not. That's that's a difficult thing to do. Do you think that there are ways that we can find better paths for that kind of communication? You know, sometimes as a younger person going through social media, it's really maybe the more aggressive, hard-hitting statements from politicians or from people um, that are advocating for something. Those are the things that go viral. But why does it have to get to the point where it's only engaging when it's through someone else's pain or their exhaustion or their rage? So there's stuff that gets attention, obviously, and we see that all the time. And I think it's, again, worse in like time limits, and it has to be more and more compressed. Um, do any of you have, have insights into some or, or experiences of this, the kinds of things that, that have worked to try to push beyond some of these limits? Sometimes I, I worry that we have come to rely so heavily on the drama of, of it all. You know, we run our democracy the way we would run like a marketing campaign for like a diet pill company or something. Like we try to make people feel like bad about the situation um, without that, you know, whether it's a trauma or without a real significant sort of element of chaos. I think I really worry about how how we can get attention without that. And I'm not sure I've seen a really good example, honestly. We can decide to try to push things in a, a different direction, both by our voting and by the kinds of things that we insist on in our, our public statements or the things that we try to call attention to. Could be the drama, could be a demonstration. It could be calling attention to statistics of some who are marginalized or disadvantaged or inadequately represented. But it could also be by by our example, and we do see leaders, not necessarily elected leaders, but leaders who take a different tone, a different approach, and, and quite often that difference is appealing, and we can decide, whether it be on social media or podcasts or in our, our voting. We have some power here. Now, there's, there are lots of ways we can, we can reward or, and incentivize or disincentivize behavior. But I think that when it's more so just going against something rather than advocating for yourself and what you actually want and what you believe in and what you want to see, that's not any more productive than, you know, an outburst or maybe even a very, very boring, dry hearing where people just don't even absorb anything from that conversation. And yeah, I, I did like your point, Tommy, about how a lot of the time it's not the joy that's really celebrated because that doesn't usually make the news. Maybe if people are exhausted enough or they are, you know, kind of scared enough, then they're like, okay, like, let's fit in a little story about a zoo animal that was born so then they can also gear up for what's coming up next. And that is the tragedy that continues to occur within our political climate. And it's overwhelming. And it gets to a point where people are like, well, I don't know what's going on. I just know I don't like this thing and I don't like this person. So that's the stance I'm going to have rather than looking into all of these other options that are available. So you're saying we have a responsibility to go beyond that headline, that video, that image, the, the superficial, make a bit of an effort and and that we can by our behavior during elections online and so forth we can uh, we can choose to try to to model and encourage things that we we think are worthy of attention and and turn away from the things that we don't want to reward yeah I agree always pointing out the negative aspects is not not productive at all standing up for something is quite hard uh, to do especially in in public so if we can encourage that encourage the collaboration rather than the divisive I think that's a great step but how 
such an uphill battle. It's absolutely worth it. But I mean, we're also going against even some of our own evolutionary, uh, like who we are as human beings. Like we we know when there's something bad, that's going to stick in our head. You know, we know if that we see lion's teeth, stay away from that. And it's, it's so easy to remember those, those negative aspects. And that's why media right now is just so focused on natural disasters and and this death and, and all these things are very very important we need to know about it but obviously they know that's what keeps us entertained that's what keeps us connected and so that's what's keeping us connected to politics is the fact that you can be against something or someone and and or maybe be feel like you're a part of something as as potentially divisive as that is at least that's some sort of participation it it is entertainment you know when we look at when we look at politics when we look at keeping up with news it's an, it's entertainment which isn't new but then i think about what's important for me when I'm consuming entertainment. And as someone who loves reality TV, like if everyone got along in the house, I'd be like, this is so boring. I'm not watching this. But when I'm having like a real conversation with somebody, I don't need there to be, I don't need for there to be conflict in order to, you know, enjoy my time. If there's conflict, that's fine. But if we're agreeing and just connecting and collaborating, that feels like a really fruitful, good experience. And I think that also, you know, makes me think when I'm thinking about politics in this way, I often view the landscape as kind of like something to watch, like something that's happening over there. It's this thing that's kind of unfolding for our entertainment, which I think also stresses that need for us to really engage in our own ways and bring it more internal of like, what are we doing within our communities and within our peers? And how do we identify problems and decide how we want to make our communities better? Because I feel like that's something that it's more personal and it's something that we're, we're actually doing and can, par- can participate in and doesn't require that tension and doesn't require that drama as opposed to if the only rate way we engage with politics is consuming it for entertainment, then we are really going to rely on, on that drama. So part of I think what I'm hearing you say is that politicians want to you know focus on policies, programs, initiatives, whatever the case may be. And rather than passively sort of consuming, we can we can provide examples of or alternatives or suggestions, become, become engaged in a more positive way. The reality is for most people, the negativity turns them away. It suppresses voting. It uh, causes people to turn away from politics. And that is used by political parties and leaders to try to drive the vote either away from the other side or in support of themselves. You know, rather than talking about what they're doing and what we don't want them to do and rewarding and and uh, punishing sort of that kind of behavior, maybe just experiment, experimenting with alternatives where we make, we make a difference, we engage in, in trying to find solutions for ourselves rather than seeking that primarily amongst um, elected officials. So going as, I think, Diamond, you were saying earlier, volunteering, getting involved in an issue you think is important. I mean, recycling, composting, whatever, all those kinds of things, those are political things as well. And and again, it can be a platform or a foundation upon which something more positive grows and develops. Room for opposition and disagreement, but also room for us to to get engaged in ways that are meaningful. I mean, I'm, most of the young people in particular, actually most of the people I talk to can't imagine joining a party because there isn't a party they agree with on on everything. They can imagine getting involved in trying to promote a particular issue or, or to oppose a particular uh, approach to a problem. Maybe get involved in an election because there's an issue that they think is important enough 
take one side or the other on without necessarily buying into the entire um, picture. And and it's sounding to me like we've all had a bit of experience with trying to get involved and promote and to move in a positive direction towards suggesting or providing alternatives that might resonate in the official sort of elected political sphere, but no, don't necessarily require that. But I think a big part of that is that gathering and really connecting with like-minded people within your community and sort of identifying things or, or changes that you want to see within your community. I mean, I know specifically with Apathy is Boring, one of the community programs that was funded was a group of youth came together and identified an issue within their community. And one of it was a lack of mutual aid resources. And they were able to just kind of come together and design a digital mutual aid resource map to outline here are all the mutual aid resources available and if people are in need then they can find it in real time and kind of see what is available and accessible to them. Um, so I think that is just an example of a way that people can kind of come together and, and gather and create a solution for themselves that they want to see within their communities. Yeah I couldn't imagine going to a town hall in my community like I, that's just not something that interests me at all but it should right like that's the, the direct impact on my life so finding a way to encourage more people to speak up and to, to come to those sort of events whether it be something about a zoning issue and maybe it should be more about education than okay this is the only example that we have we have a, a big apartment building coming in and everyone needs to talk about this well what are the aspects of this how does this apartment building even get the, the permission to get here you know educating and then we can start that conversation i think that would be really helpful because to me it just seems old-fashioned to go to a town hall your point about education i think is really important because a lot of times we don't know enough to make things work and and we can we can connect with people who know more about voting or getting people out to vote or producing something that they they might might want to put on on social media it sounds to me like education knowing more about what the issues are what the what and and ways that we can respond to and try to push things in a direction that we like um education and experience and practice can make a big difference there yeah, absolutely. I like I I would say that youth in particular like let's just say in this context like millennials and gen gen z gen z in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um I would say that they've definitely been at the forefront of raising a lot of significant issues in recent years, whether that's being at the front lines of human rights uh, or environmental movements, also leading climate strikes. I know that's something that we've all seen too, a lot more of compared to at least when I was much younger, that wasn't really something I was exposed to or saw covered um, on a much more global scale. You have even post-secondary students uh, that are advocating for, you know, maybe lower income youth uh, and having more affordable options to be able to pursue education so then they can know about these things and know about these processes and know about how to share this information with people. But then you also have them advocating for protecting our youth and so actually challenging the structures and the very toxic institutions that have been instilled that allow for, you know, potentially just only the drama, not the joy being able to be celebrated. And I think... You know, for so long, power has been withheld from youth. 
or at least from young younger people, particularly in the context of our voting structure, for example. I think that things like lower voter turnout, for example, might be perceived as apathy, but really sometimes, like you said, it's just lack of awareness or it's maybe they have the intention of wanting to or they've just had experience being failed by these particular representatives in the past and it's just not something that they want to have to go through again. I think I've said it a lot in this particular episode, but youth are exhausted. It's not just older generations that are grappling with a lot of these issues. Sure, they have their own, but I think youth are so exposed to so much more than other generations were, and they increasingly are each day, and they're increasingly exposed to a lot of the social realities that we have. I just hope that they continue to utilize those tools to speak up for themselves, or even if it's just like, I thought this was interesting, that's still advocacy. If they post it on their story and show it to their friends that, you know, they share that platform with, that could still be a good form of advocacy. And I think part of what we're seeing now is that there are a lot of pretty challenging issues that have emerged. People have had the experience of of, of COVID and all the dislocation and fear that that induced and a lot of reaction is still bubbling up. I think that, you know, there's some, as they call it all the time, existential crises that are out there and I can't help but think of existentialism that looks at the bleak and and insists on on trying to make the best of your life and to to fight for better where you can in, in little little ways here and there and, and you've all talked about ways in which which you do that that make make a difference that we we don't really know about and and I guess I wanted just to affirm that that's democratic engagement whether it's in the polling booth or joining a party or contributing or donating or volunteering in in a formal sort of political context or not, we can decide to try to push in a more positive direction or to push against something that we think is is disagreeable and we need to to stand against. And I'm grateful to all of you for, for the perspectives you shared here about some of the ways in which you're struggling, that you're experimenting, that you're persisting. That was our alumni panelists featuring Tommy Ajele, Diamond Reed, and Chris Turner. A special thank you to our host, Lori Williams. The views and opinions expressed by the host and speakers reflect their personal experiences and perspectives and are not representative of Mount Royal University or the Office of Alumni Relations. In this episode, our panel talked about populism, discord, and how we can continue to listen to each other. I'm Noel Ermita. Thanks for joining us. Here's a sneak peek into episode 3 featuring Tommy, Chris, Diamond, and Lori talking about continuing participation, the importance of your voice, and how we move forward. So being a leader can literally just be this one conversation that you have with someone. It can be maybe you're questioning them or maybe you're supporting them in a way that gives them confidence. I think a leader doesn't have to be something that is permanent. Until then, stay connected at MRU Alumni and keep thinking big.